welcome to the Vineyard Cleveland podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information and other resources, please visit vineyardcleveland.org. What we're doing here is we're just centering things back to the presence of God. And so we're going to spend a moment or two in silence together and just taking a deep breath and creating space for God. And in Romans 8, 35, 37 through 39, we read this. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor demons, neither the present, nor the future, nor any powers, neither height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Nothing will separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Holy Spirit, we welcome you, and we, we just say, come. Come, God. Just take a minute to quiet our hearts. Will you quiet our busy hearts? Jesus, you were never in a hurry. You were never in a rush. You always showed up right on time. Come, Holy Spirit. Spirit, you meet us here in the midst of chaos, in the midst of trouble, in the midst of joy. You meet us. You promise, Jesus, never to leave us alone. And you make good on all of your promises. How good, Jesus, in your kindness, just to give us a space to steal away a moment with you. We invite your presence. Pray, Holy Spirit, that these would be your words to our hearts. That you just get me out of the way and just do the thing that you do so beautifully and so wonderfully in changing our lives. Form us from the inside out. We love you, Jesus. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. 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 So if you're visiting with us this morning, welcome. You've arrived at a good morning to visit. Not that any other Sundays are bad mornings for you to visit, but we're just really glad that you're here and you arrive at a good time because we're starting or beginning a new series this morning on the Holy Spirit. Uh, The series we're calling is The Wild Goose, and more on that in a moment. I did want to say right off the top that I just would like to ask for your prayers for me. You know, there's a dynamic in teaching context that the teachings will only be as good as the people's prayers for the teacher. I don't know as much as I should, and I'm not coming to you as Bible answer man or the expert on the scriptures. 
But don't you find, I don't know if you're like me or not, if I go into a learning environment where someone is teaching or whatever, and I go in thinking and feeling, gosh, there's nothing that this guy can tell me that I don't already know, don't you leave feeling like, gosh, that guy was a terrible teacher, I didn't learn anything. But if we pray for that person and we say, God, show us what you have. There's, some, there's gotta be something that I can glean from this. There's gotta be something that I don't know. <laughs> Isn't that a humble way to go? And so I'm leveling with you and saying, I don't know it all. I don't know it all. But I just wanna share with you some stuff that Jesus has shared with me this week. Can we have a conversation about the Holy Spirit? Yeah. Just in that sense? Okay. Okay, good. So Gordon Fee, who's a theologian and a writer, wrote this book called Paul, the Spirit, and the People of God. It's a wonderful book. And in it, he remarks about a conversation that he had with one of his coworkers and, uh, at some time in the 90s or whatever. And he's talking to his coworker, and his coworker is explaining to him, you know, I feel like I've got this thing about the father, like God being a father. He's not like a father, but he is father. And the theology of what that means, that God is a father, like I've got that thing pretty much figured out. That's pretty solid in my head. And the son, like that Jesus is the Messiah, and Jesus is God's only son, and it's really clear in Scripture. I've got that thing figured out, too. It's pretty clear for me. But when it comes to the Holy Spirit, he says that he describes it as this oblong gray blur. And I thought, you know, isn't that the way that most of us think about the Holy Spirit? Like this it or this thing that we don't really know like how to approach that. Like the Father, okay, solid, got that. Jesus, solid, got that. The Spirit, what is, what is happening there? Fee talks about the Sunday school class where the teacher of the Sunday, Sunday school class sets up this fan in the room for these six-year-olds. And she was setting out to explain who the Holy Spirit is. Like from John 3, when Jesus says that you, the Spirit is like the wind. You can't really see the wind, but you can see the effects of the wind. And so she sets up this fan in front of all of these six-year-olds, and she takes a thin piece of paper and puts it in front of the fan and then flips the fan on, and the, the wind from the fan blows the piece of paper away. And she says to the six-year-olds, she says, now see, that's what the Holy Spirit is like. We can't see the, the wind, but we can see the effects of the wind. And that's true. It's in scripture, that's true. And then one six-year-old boy, he raises his hand real quick and he says, but I want the wind to be uninvisible. <laughs> and I just thought, ah, uh, isn't that the cry of like every human being? Why can't the wind be uninvisible? Why can't God be uninvisible? Just to level with that sentiment and with one another and say, you know, that's where we're living. We want God, we want the Holy Spirit, the person of the Holy Spirit to be uninvisible in our lives. Now we're calling this series the, the Wild Goose, and this has meaning. We're calling it the Wild Goose because the goose has significance to our church locally, but basically here's the story of the Wild Goose. Here's where the Holy Spirit becomes uninvisible for us a little bit. So back in the Middle Ages, the Celts around Scotland and Ireland didn't quite like the symbol or imagery of the dove for the Holy Spirit. 
If you know anyone who's Irish, you may, you may know that they have the tendency, not generally, not a hasty generalization here, but to be very blunt and straight and to the point. And they were saying in these times, no, the Holy Spirit, the way that we experience as St. Patrick and the Holy Spirit are sweeping through the island, yes, and evangelizing the entire island, they're saying, that's not the Holy, we don't know the Holy Spirit as a dove. He's more like a wild goose whose honk is abrasive and disruptive, who is not domesticated or tame, but yet hangs around all the time. And so, I would have you know that the literal translation for the phrase, the Holy Spirit, in Gaelic, word for word, is the wild goose. Word for word. This image of a dove, the Holy Spirit like a dove, just too tame for the Celts. And so, we're going to talk about, what does that mean for our church? I feel like... And I sense that the Holy Spirit would want to bring his love and his power and his presence to us in a way that we can say, you know, I don't have this thing figured out, but I want to experience more of you, God. You are not someone that I can subdue. You are not someone, God. You are not someone, Holy Spirit, that I can control. We can't control God. We can't subdue him. The Holy Spirit as the wild goose. I love this poem. It's written by Ray Simpson. He says this, Great Spirit, wild goose of the Almighty, be my eye in the dark places. Be my flight in the trapped places. Be my host in the wild places. Be my brood in the barren places. Be my formation in the lost places. The Holy Spirit as the wild goose. And it's true that for something or someone so um, undefinable or like un- intangible or invisible, the Holy Spirit has been around since the dawn of creation and even before creation. In fact, if you wanted to open your Bibles and you turn to the first or second page to Genesis with me, right off the bat, we see the Spirit's activity and we see the person of the Holy Spirit. We read this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Verse 2, now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And I love this sort of like mixed metaphor that is going on here in Genesis. This mixed metaphor of bird and water. In The Hebrew, this phrase, hovering over the water, could be translated flapping of the wings. There's this hovering over the water. And we know, as followers of Jesus, the symbol of living water, which we'll get to in a minute, as the Holy Spirit as well. The Holy Spirit is like living water. And so from the very beginning, the Holy Spirit presents himself as part of creation, as part of the creative process, not part of creation, part of the creative process in this person of the Holy Spirit. But in the Old Testament, we don't really have like these, um, these ongoing touch points of the Holy Spirit in everyday, ordinary people's lives. 
We don't have the time to get after it a whole lot in detail this morning, but we sort of have this picture of the Holy Spirit that's kind of like, after creation, he's kind of like in the shadows. He's kind of like behind the scenes. And then he'll show up at like critical junctures in the people of Israel's history and with special people. It's like powerful priests or like... um, You know, the leader of the nation of Israel, the king, you know, the Holy Spirit is anointed the king. He's, the Holy Spirit is resting on the king or these special people at these critical moments in Israel's history. And so he kind of pops his head in every once in a while throughout the history of Israel. But for the most part, he's like behind the scenes. And then enter the prophets, Isaiah, Micah, Joel, before the time of Jesus, and in Isaiah, he's very, frequently, uh, he's very frequently calling the Holy Spirit or referring to the Holy Spirit as water. Remember, Israel, it's like the Middle East. And so there are deserts. So Isaiah will be talking about the Spirit, pointing forward, we know, to the person of Jesus. And he's pointing forward to a time where the Holy Spirit will not be just for special people. The Holy Spirit will not be just for special times. But the Holy Spirit will be poured out like water on everyday ordinary people like you and me. Check this out. Isaiah 44, 1 through 5. Isaiah says, but now listen, Jacob, my servant Israel, whom I have chosen. This is what the Lord says. He who made you, who formed you in the womb, and who will help you. Do not be afraid, Jacob, my servant, Jeshurun, whom I've chosen. Here it is. For I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour out my spirit on your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. They will spring up like grass in a meadow, like poplar trees by flowing streams. Some will say, I belong to the Lord. Others will call themselves by the name of Jacob. Still others will write on their hand, the Lord's, and will take the name Israel. So what Isaiah and the other prophets are saying, there will come a day. This whole thing is pointed somewhere. And we know in the person of Jesus, it's pointed somewhere where the Middle East, (laughs) Jerusalem, Israel, the people, not just the land, but the people of Israel will be kind of like the weather in Cleveland in the spring, where it's always raining, too much rain. Have you driven through Valley Parkway in the spring when it's been raining for like a week and the river is like overflowing of the fords and you can't drive by that one part in Valley Parkway? Like that. Isaiah is saying like that. The Spirit in full measure, the Holy Spirit of God, the uninvisible in full measure to every man, woman, and child. That's what we're headed towards in the person of Jesus. Likewise, in Joel, I love this one. This is the best. Ah, so good. And Joel, he says, afterward, afterward, after what? After the coming of Jesus, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, there it is again, water. I will pour out my spirit in those days. So all of this is leading up to the time of Jesus. And then Jesus of Nazareth hits the scene. And even in Jesus' birth, there's this prophecy being fulfilled. 
Jesus is the chosen one. Even in the conception of Jesus, we read this in Luke. Tell me if it sounds familiar. And the angel answered Mary and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Sound familiar? Therefore, also the Holy One who is to be Uh, who is to be born, will be called the Son of God, will overshadow you. It's the same imagery that's used in Genesis when the Holy Spirit is hovering above the waters. So from the time of Jesus' birth, and this is intentional, the language that's used here in the Greek, we see the Spirit with Jesus and uh, overflowing through Jesus, distinct as one person, of who God is, three in one, but yet Jesus in his humanity needs to be filled with the Holy Spirit. They're not sort of like melding into one. The Holy Spirit is still distinct as a person of the Godhead, but yet Jesus in his humanity, fully God, fully man, needs to be filled to overflowing with the Spirit because of the thing that's set before him to be and to do. Then we come to Jesus' baptism, and we read this in John The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, A man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water, there's water, was that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven. Interesting as a dove, and remain on him. In context, he's talking about Jesus. And I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, here it is, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this, Jesus, is God's chosen one. So here we see the imagery again. So what is happening here as Jesus is being fully immersed in water, baptismo in the Greek, baptize, it means what you think it means, fully submerged in water, all the way under. Look at the text. John is saying, in the same way that I've been baptizing in water as a sign, anyone who claims Jesus as Lord He will submerge fully in the Holy Spirit. Joel, prophecy fulfilled in Jesus. As Jesus is baptized, John uses Jesus' baptism to signify the coming of a new age, the coming of new creation, fully submerged in the Holy Spirit and then given to us as the promised gift. That's amazing. Furthermore, Here's the most amazing part. This, ah, Jesus is so good. Check this out, you guys. In John 4, we know that Jesus is talking to this woman at the well, right? And as he's speaking with her, the woman at the well is um, a little bit obtuse, some would say. But she's asking Jesus all kinds of questions. Jesus offers her a drink, very taboo in society. She's a Samaritan woman. And He says, if you know the one who was offering you a drink right now, you would know that 
Streams of living water flow from him. He's speaking of himself. Jesus always has this thing about speaking about himself in the third person. It's kind of annoying, but it's really cool because he's the only one who can get away with it. Like if we're like, hey, Eben says, you're pretty cool. I just look like a dweeb. But when Jesus does it, he's like amazing. So Jesus says, if you knew the one who was offering you water, you would never be thirsty again. He's like offering this, this woman the fullness of the Holy Spirit, living water, living water. So much so that he's, he tells this woman, you'll never thirst again. Your thirst will be quenched. So keep that in mind. Then we move to John 7, just a couple chapters over, if you wanted to turn there. And Jesus is at Sukkot, or the Feast of Tabernacles. This is significant. This is, uh, I, I told Sarah the other night, I was just like, oh my gosh. This is like, this just made me fall in love with Jesus all over again. So Jesus is at this festival. The Feast of Tabernacles would be going on around this time of year, every year in the land of Israel. And it's sort of like a harvest festival. So thousands of Jews would come from all over the Middle East into the holy city, Jerusalem. And they'd set up like tents or booths, they would call them. And they would have like campouts. Now there was no like North Face or like REI or like Instagram back then. So it was just like pretty dirty camping. They were just camping out for like eight days in the city. Dirty, smelly camping out. Thousands upon thousands, tens and tens of thousands of people in the holy city. Jesus is one of these people. And at the Feast of Tabernacles, year after year after year, what would happen is every morning the priests would go down to the pool of Siloam, the wa- this water source flowing out of the temple. And they would collect water in these two huge golden bowls. And on the last day of the festival, the greatest day of the festival, they would collect not just a bowl of water, but a bowl of wine, too. And then all of the people would follow the priests up to the temple, and there'd be the shofar, you know, like the the trumpets, and it would be a ruckus. It would be so loud and so boisterous and celebrative. And they'd march up to the temple and they'd be shouting and praising God. And then at the climax of the moment, the priest would stand at the altar and they would pour the water and the wine over the altar to run down onto the floor. And there'd be a hush in the crowd, thousands of people. It's in this moment, check it, that Jesus says this. On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty, come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. Ah. What Jesus is doing and saying right now in this hushed moment, as water and wine are being poured on the altar, is he saying, I mean, the magnitude of this moment is that Jesus is saying what you've waited for, Ruach in Hebrew, the Spirit of God, through all of the Old Testament, through special times and special places, 
with the prophets and pointing towards a day. That day is today. And water and wine flows. Similar in the crucifixion after Jesus is dead and the Roman soldier shoves a spear in Jesus' side. What pours forth but water and blood? The priest at the altar, water and wine pour down the altar of the temple. This is Jesus saying, he is the sacrifice. Jesus is saying, I am the sacrifice that ushers in the fullness of the Spirit of God. All that you've waited for in the past is culminating in the person of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Bam, that's the gospel. There it is. He says, come to me and drink. Come and drink deep. Come and drink. Anyone who is thirsty, come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. He's pointing back to a time in Isaiah. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. And similarly, at the end of the book, You see, the Holy Spirit, this person who is God, is marked from the beginning, the middle, and the end. Check this out. In Revelation 22, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, and the bride, the church, us, the Spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty, come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. Beginning, middle, and end. The Holy Spirit is saying, come and drink. The person that you've waited for is in Christ Jesus. Yeah. So this begs the question, this verse, from the lips of Jesus. Are you thirsty? What does this mean for our church? What, is, what does this mean? You know, when we ha- run a series on the Holy Spirit, there could be any number of different thoughts going through our heads because of the varied experiences we've had in the church growing up or lack of experience or wherever you are in your journey with God. What does this mean for our church? Are you thirsty? And Jesus saying, come and drink. So without dogging on the American evangelical church, there are like two camps in the church right now. And like our political parties, these camps are very dug in. And you may identify anywhere in between or with one of these camps. On the one side, there are like Bible churches. How many of you have a Bible that says the Holy Bible? on it. You have one? Do you know, in the Bible, the Bible or scriptures are never called the Holy Bible. There's this joke that goes around um, evangelical churches that in these sorts of Bible churches, the Trinity is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Bible. Have you heard that? It's a joke, but it's not funny. I mean, literally, like, there are Bible churches in there, and in these churches, there is just this high integrity for the Word of God and for the integrity of Scripture and how we handle that and how, and, 
and what that means for our life. And that's good. That's a good thing. But whenever it comes to the Holy Spirit, the churches who are dug in on the Bible side will say, well, those things are just like marvelous acts long time ago. Healing doesn't happen. Holy Spirit still kind of is this vague sort of it most of the time. On the other side of the spectrum are Holy Spirit churches. And Holy Spirit churches are like so focused on the person of the Holy Spirit and it's amazing, like signs and wonders are happening and healing is happening. But if any of you have had like experience there, you know, prophecies in the Bible might just be like, who, who, they have no context for like someone's life today will be like tossed around like pancakes, you know? And so it's a, a verse out of context here, and it's like um, abuse of power over there. And so when I bring up the Holy Spirit, there could be, I realize that I'm speaking to a, um, a wider audience than I might think. So some of you, when you hear the Holy like, oh, he's going to be teaching on the Holy Spirit, and we're going to be moving into this, some of you might think, yeah, Vineyard's going charismatic. We're going to get there. Yeah, that's great. We're going to be speaking in tongues all over the place. And others of you, when you hear that, when you hear that we're going to do a, a teaching series on the Holy Spirit, you might be like, oh, boy, like, get me away from this church as soon as possible. Because maybe you've had experience in the past where you've seen the abuse of the gifts or you've seen, like, um, this kind of unsafe environment that's created in Pentecostal churches sometimes where you're like, I wouldn't want my kids to be anywhere near that place. And for others of you, it might be like, you know, I'm good either way. Like, I'm just open to what, like, God wants to speak to me. And so the dynamic between the two, it doesn't really matter. You're like, I'm open to, like, learning about the Holy Spirit. And so we want to acknowledge that. We want to acknowledge that spectrum here this morning. So what does it mean for our church? Is that these things are, it's more than just, like, Bible churches and Holy Spirit churches, right? It's like, it's like um, intellect versus emotion, right? It's like the truth of scripture versus experience in the Holy Spirit. Like, I gotta feel something when I come to church. It's like exegesis of the scripture and great handling of the word of God versus like, I wanna feel God. And if I don't feel God, then we haven't had church. But don't you know that all of these things were never meant to be separated? Don't you know that we want to be a both-and church at Vineyard Cleveland? That these things were meant to be held in tension with one another. And the second that we start living outside of that tension is the, the second that we need to start worrying. Or an, an acknowledgement that, gosh, we might have our heels dug in in one side or the other. And that's never the way that Jesus intended his church to function. That these things were meant to go hand-in-hand. Billy Graham, he knows a thing or two, doesn't he? Billy Graham once said this. He said every, now, Billy Graham has preached to millions of people and been to millions of churches. Yes, if there are millions of churches. Millions, Billy Graham, millions. Okay, he says this. Everywhere I go, I find that God's people lack something. They're hungry, or we could substitute thirsty. They're thirsty for something. Their Christian experience is not all they expected and they have often have 
they often have recurring defeat in their lives. Christians today are thirsty for spiritual fulfillment. The most desperate need, here it is, Billy Graham, the most desperate need of the nation today is that men and women who profess, talk, 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 who profess Jesus be filled with the Holy Spirit. Amen. This goes to say, as we, as we wrap it up, that the Holy Spirit, and some of you have heard my shtick on this before, so you know what's coming. The Holy Spirit is not an it, like the force from Star Wars. He's not, it, the Holy Spirit is not like, there are some who are like strong in the force, like the pastors and the missionaries, and oh, they're, they're, force, they're Holy Spirit Jedis, and you can have healing and signs and wonders. No, the Holy Spirit is a person. And when we say at Vineyard Cleveland, we say, come Holy Spirit, or we say, we want more of you, Holy Spirit, what does that even mean? Because if we're saying or equating, I want more Holy Spirit, like it's some lightsaber that we're supposed to wield, we're objectifying the Holy Spirit of God, and that's not who he is. It's the holy who, not the holy what. When we say, come Holy Spirit, when we say we want more Holy Spirit, what we're saying is relational. We want more and deeper intimacy with God. If we want to know who God is, and we can, you can know who God is, you can know him in the experience of the Holy Spirit. It's like some of us have like dipped our toes in, if we're talking about the water metaphor. Do you know, I talk about my, my son and my daughter. When we used to live in Georgia, we had a, a pool in our neighborhood. And early in the spring, it was still a little bit chilly. Not a lot, but a little bit chilly. And my kids' personalities couldn't be more <laughs> polar opposite. And so, and maybe you can relate with this. My, my son goes to the edge of the pool, and he dips his his foot in like this and he says oh it's cold it's cold and backs away my daughter Winnie comes you know bumbling down and just cannonball into the water come on Luca come in the water's fine jump in how many of us are willing to admit that inside we want to be like Winnie in that sense we want to be fully submerged we want to dive in but so much so we experience a gap. We experience a gap and we're more like Luca when we just stick our toes in this Jesus thing. I, I don't know. I don't quite know about this church thing. I don't know about this Holy Spirit thing. I just want to stick my, my toes in. And I feel like what we're doing here is like addressing and like acknowledging and then trying to shorten that gap between like what we read in here through some of those like awesome men and women of God that we read about all through the scriptures, the gap in, in, in our modern day, people like Brother Yoon and people like Mother Teresa and people like who are just amazing and you know that there's something happening and unfolding in their lives and the gap between uh, what we read in scripture and what our everyday experience of reality is and like addressing that gap 
and through the filling of the Holy Spirit, shortening that gap. See, we can't talk about the Holy Spirit in closing. We can't talk about the Holy Spirit like he's a, like he's a thing, like he's, not some, like he's just some distant kind of vague thing or it. We can't. We can't, you guys. He's a person. He has dreams. He has vision for our lives and how he wants to fill us, living water overflowing in us. Simon Ponsonby, he wrote this book. It's called More. How, you, how can you have more of the Spirit when you already have everything? Wonderful book. Ponsonby says this, I will purposefully emphasize the word experience and will seek to show from the scriptures the importance of experience. Why? A non-experiential religion is suspect, for it fails to deal with the totality of our being. Your emotions, your thoughts, it's all, you're, you're a whole being. You're not just the sum of your thoughts. You're not just the when you, when you sign on to follow Jesus, you're not just signing a doctrinal statement. Yes, I believe in Jesus, check. I go to church on Sunday, check. No, 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 no. A non-experiential religion is suspect because it fails to deal with the totality of who you are. It's both and. It's both and. And that's who we want to become as a church. So more. How can you have more if you've received the fullness of the Spirit? If you're talking about it like that. How can I receive more if I've already received the fullness of the Spirit? You're already objectifying the person of the Holy Spirit. When we say we want more of Him, what we say is that we're saying we want to grow in relationship with Him. We want to grow in intimacy.